Good morning, everybody, here and abroad. We're few in number in here. It's not that cold, really. We're doing all right. So those of you at home, don't worry about us. We can feel our fingers, and Arlen and the, the group got us all nice and in a warm spot. So thank you for that, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, I wanted to start by saying that uh, please keep uh, the Garrett family, Julie, Christian, Mac, Jennifer, their mom, all in, all in your prayers. Uh, there was a beautiful service to honor their father, Mac Garland Garrett, yesterday. It was just so beautiful. And uh, you know Julie and Christian the most. They, Julie sang and Christian signed the song, and uh, they, they made it through. So you knew they would, but it was, it was just beautiful. But please keep that family in your prayers as they, they move forward. Well, the title of my uh, sermon this morning is Love Harmonizes Life. And I'm going to reflect on some stories, but I'm going to express thanks for those who have shown us the way. The way to what? Well, today is the eve of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Our, tomorrow our nation will, will pause and reflect upon the values that he expressed, the things he was um, called to do, the, 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 the way he wanted change in our country. And for some, it's just a day off. And I don't mind telling you, I, I'm glad <laughs> we get an extra day off. Uh, for some, it's an opportunity to join with others that do service projects. I know a lot of universities get together and do that on this special day. And for some, it's introspective to think about your own heart and where you stand in, in your life as you encounter people who look different than you, are from different cultures and social status and race. So I, I hope that tomorrow is redeeming to you in, in that way. Uh, so we're going to reflect a little bit in the light of Eve of Martin Luther King Day. I, a lot of times preachers start off with a humorous story, so I think I'll do that. If that's all right with y'all, get a little laughing. Since there's only, you know, several hundred here in the audience, uh, you need to laugh loud, cry hard, you know, do all those things you're supposed to do during sermons, okay? Here's, the, here's what I think is one of the funny ways to get started into this topic. Mid-90s, Independence Bowl, cold night. I was there with a friend. Cedric and I were an unlikely duo. I was just a stick, you know, look kind of like this microphone right here. And white as a sheet. Cedric was 6'4 and African American, black. Played football for Texas Tech. Went on later to play for the Calgary Stampeders. Cedric was a big guy, and I always felt safe with Cedric. We were great friends. And so we went to the Independence Bowl together. And about the third quarter, he said, I think I'll go get us some refreshments. I said, okay, that'd be fine. Uh, you want me to go with you? No, 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 hold the seats. The seats, uh, it was a good crowd that year. But there were some seats behind us that were unoccupied. And when Cedric left, some gentlemen came college age and sat behind us, and they seemed a little flustered. 
And so I turned around and just waved, you know, to say hey to them. And they said, do you mind if we sit back here? And I said, oh, sure, I don't think anybody's sitting there. They said, well, we just got kicked out from the section we were sitting in. Security made us leave. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, some people around us were irritated because we used some racial slurs. So they came and they sat down behind me. And I sat, was watching the game, and I still heard them using some racial slurs. And I thought, I need to move. <laughs> I need to find another seat. But then I thought, Cedric won't know where I am. And then I thought, no, this is just going to be good. <laughs> so out of the corridor comes my friend Cedric, 6'4", wearing a black leather jacket, a black fedora cap, carrying God knows how many hot dogs and, and popcorn and Cokes. And as he turned the corner to come our direction, it was obvious that he was coming our direction. And the light that illuminated our seats was eclipsed by his presence. He's that big. And as he stepped forward, the two guys behind me said this, and I quote, We've got to behave. My God, we've got to behave. <laughs> and then Cedric came and sat down, and I watched him, and he turned around and said, Oh, hey, I'm Cedric. Y'all weren't here earlier. Introduced himself, offered them popcorn. And we had the best time with them the rest of the game. And I said to myself, that's how you do it. Oh, Cedric, you're so good. That's how you do that. So my message this morning is not political. It is not necessarily national. Certainly Martin Luther King had national ideas. Changes in policies he wanted. Of course he did. But so much of what he felt and put forward can apply to us personally every day at the office, every day at the school, every day at the ball game, wherever you find yourselves. And that's what I want to share to you. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to give you the spoiler alert. I'm working up to a story about a man who changed my life. And I'm so grateful that I had a relationship with him. And I'm so grateful for the people who raised me and showed me how to act. And therefore, I was open to the joys and blessing that came through this relationship with this wonderful man that I'll tell you about in just a moment. To, to, to get more serious about what we're talking about, I, I am grateful for those who've shown me the way. And one of those people, uh, obviously, is Christ. You know, the Nazarene. If he were to come up here and do a duet with me, and thank, thankfully you're spared from, from that happening, but we would look nothing alike. We're from totally different stratospheres. He eats differently. He drinks differently. He, he talks to people differently. Our skin would be different. Jesus the Nazarene. But he is ultimately, in the end, who we pattern ourselves after in our relationships, right? All of them. But he uses people in our life to show us the way. And one of those people was my brother. He's four years older than me, and he um, is the one who ultimately led me to a decision for Christ. But I want to take you back to the early 1970s. And I was about a fourth grader during this time. 
Kenny just turned 40. I was, I was already scooting around the planet, you know, a good bit before, before you made it here. But anyway, uh, about a fourth grader, and we started hearing a word around the, around the school. Teachers started using it, and the word was integration. And fourth grader, you know, okay, whatever, whatever that is, we didn't know. And then as the day drew near when that integration of schools, schools from the black communities coming to our school, as that day approached, they started explaining more what was going to happen. You're going to begin to have new classmates, new friends. And, you know, fourth graders were like, all right, well, good, you know, good. But in the upper levels, the high school levels, the conversation was different. There's going to be fights. There's going to be possible riots. There's going to be all kinds of turmoil when this happens. And all I knew is my brother was in high school, and that's where they were talking about all this transpiring. You have to remember it was such a different time in the early 70s. You know, those of us that grew up in the 60s, it was very rare that you even saw a person of color. You know, there's, there's people here today that probably remember that. It was unusual. And it wasn't anything you necessarily had to deal with, right? So all I knew is I think I was okay in my little classroom, but I wasn't sure about my brother at the high school with all this talk going on. Well, one car situation there. My brother wasn't driving, so he was a, on the basketball team. And so we drew, my mother came and got us. We had to drive out there to get him after practice. It was the day he was going to meet the new teammates. And so we were sitting in the stands, and I remember this so vividly, and it was a powerful moment that I will never forget, and I'm thankful for it. Nervous, because all this was foreign. And at that time, his team was completely made up of, of Caucasians. And here came the new teammates, and they were all African American. And it was against the backdrop of everything we had heard about possible, you know, fights and all of that kind of thing. And I watched as the two groups gathered in the middle of the court. And I watched my brother. stepped across the line and extended his hand and shook hands with his new teammates. And it wasn't a regular handshake. It was one of those soul handshakes, you know. You, you, you. And I thought, that's how you do it. So I went back to my elementary school and mimicked him. And that's why I say I'm so thankful to God for people who show you how to act in situations like that. And so it creates harmony. Harmony among races and cultures. Now, we automatically think black and white, but it's, it's far more complex than that, isn't it, uh, in this day and age. But when there's harmony among the races and cultures, 
There's beauty. That was a beautiful scene. There's power. There's power. There's testimony. When there's harmony like that, it speaks through the ages. There's testimony. And there's freedom. Freedom to have new relationships that will bless you and you will bless them. Freedom exists in that. And when we witness it, like I just tried to share with you, it's awesome. It's awesome when we witness it. And we witness it in all kinds of ways. You see some of the things on the, on the board, but those of you watching online, I'm going to have to read it to you. Post-game prayers. After the NFL games, you see people wearing different uniforms, different race backgrounds, gathering at midfield to pray together after a, a, a violent, hotly contested game. And I've researched some of that. And most of the time they're praying thanksgiving to God for giving them a platform to share his love with the people that they are around. And they pray together. It's beautiful. What other har harmony situations are out there that are beautiful? Gumbo. My people that enjoy making gumbo. And it's gumbo aplenty in this state. The blending of flavors coming together. All by themselves, they're okay, but boy, when they come together, there is nothing like a good gumbo, is there? It's beautiful. The symphony. The symphony's crazy. You got instruments that look so weird, you don't even know what they are. You got tiny little piccolos, and you got giant sousaphones, huge contrabass, weird-looking clarinets. All of them by themselves sound okay, but when they come together, it's beautiful. It's beautiful when there's harmony. And the church, the church, when we come together, especially when we come from so many different backgrounds and cultures and races, and we come together and worship one God, it's beautiful. It's powerful. There's testimony. But there's, there's a problem. And, and my, my, my favorite tight end in the NFL of all time, uh, Ben Watson, you know, he's very outspoken on racial issues in our country. He says, it's a sin problem, not a skin problem that we're seeing. And uh, that sort of speaks for itself. But when we're toddlers and we're little, there doesn't, there's, there's so much acceptance. We don't really see. We just accept. We just love. We just want to play with whoever it is. It doesn't matter. And then something happens as we age. There's cynicism and doubt that sneaks in pride, inherited beliefs sometimes, ignorance. And I would add to that, bad experience. It's, it's true. People have had bad experiences with people of other races, of other cultures, that, that has made it difficult to, 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 to heal and move forward and process and become a, an accepting person. It requires much, much work. The solutions are all obviously the teachings of Christ. But sometimes, as I said before, God uses people to show us the way, doesn't he? You've probably already thought uh, who it is in your life that has impacted you this way. But tomorrow is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And he's got so many quotes that can be grandiose and apply to a, a broad range of, of national politics that but, he, but many of his quotes are just good. 
just good for you, good for me in our daily walk. And here are a few of them. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Powerful. Hate, here's another one. Hatred paralyzes life. Love releases it. Hatred confuses life. Love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life. Love illuminates it. And then I love this one. I I think he just, in whatever speech this was given in, I think he just threw it in because it hit him. I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Wow, if you take those into your daily lives, those are very meaningful and can change you. When it seems like everybody is against each other, and boy, doesn't it just seem that way these days, uh, not living in harmony, we have to go to the Word. We find out it's not new. (laughs) It's not new, you know. There's always been strife. There's always been animosity between groups of people. Um, But we do find, as we read through, the true nature of Christ, which is to bring peace where there was strife and kindness where there was animosity. Paul hits it square in the face. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. I want you to remember, richly blesses. Now, there's a couple of other scriptures I don't have time to flesh out. I'm going to leave that um, for the flesher outer of scriptures. Rabbi Kenyon Stein, when he gets back, he's so good at that. Um, I, I only live in his shadow from that. But, but what I'm going to do is I just read a couple of scriptures that paint a picture that you already know. You've already seen it. You know it's beautiful. But sometimes we need to be reminded of how God is the bringer together. And Jesus brought people together. And he made beauty from ashes. And there's all kinds of other things you can say about him. But a uniter is what the spirit of God is and played out, fleshed out through his son Jesus. Here we go. This goes even back pre-Jesus, Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God, just feel the spirit of God in, in the light of unity and wanting to see races come together and cultures come together under him in his name. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, sojourner, you know, whatever that is. I know what it is. I looked it up. It's a group of people that are out away from their home. It could be a person who's in a, a foreign territory. Love the sojourner. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God wants love for all, especially those fatherless, widows, those who are not in their element. And then look in Ephesians, jumping over to the New Testament. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments 
expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Can't you just feel how God feels about division and hostility in all of this? And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit, in one spirit to the Father. And then in Ephesians 2, uh, well, same, same area. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Me and the person that's so different than me, culturally, racially, politically, ideally, can be brought together as one through the blood of Christ. And it's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever, ever see. The way to unity and harmony. Jesus shows us the way to unity. God uses his people to show And I'm about to tell you about a man uh, who impacted my life and several uh, hundreds of people, if not thousands of people's lives. And I want to tell you about him against the backdrop of all of this we've talked about so far. Everybody still with me here? Are we good? I don't see you too good. I think everybody's up. You at home? Hey, you, you need to be like, like, like it is here. Go turn your thermostat down to about, what, 56 degrees. Uh, we want you to feel with us in here today, okay? All right, so you run through that. All right, I want to tell you about this man. His name was Orlando Moss, okay? He eventually became Dr. Orlando Moss. Um, I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. I will not do justice to this uh, because he was so big and so uh, amazing and surreal and all of that, but I will speak to the heart of the matter. Orlando was born in Monroe, big family, lots of siblings, had to work, you know, early, early, early on to help the family, Uh, worked his way through college and became a high school band director in Bossier Parish, of all places. But his forte, using a musical term there, his forte was choir, choral directing. And so he became a choir director in several high schools in Shreveport, Booker T. Washington and then Woodlawn. And I'm showing this picture up here on the, uh, on the screen. I know not everybody can see that. Um, I'll just do a description uh, of him uh, you can actually Google an image of Dr. Orlando Moss Sr. and you'll, you'll see him. He's African-American, looks like the most friendly person on the planet, which he was. And he's smiling, and I'm sitting here being warmed by that smile because I saw it hundreds and hundreds of times. But he, when he became a choir director in Shreveport, he started leading these choirs to number one ratings and did so for 25 years, best choirs around 
just amazing. His understanding of music and his ability to make someone, even me later in life, be able to sing in a group and sound okay and sound good as a group, sound amazing. He had that gift. God gave him that gift. I met him in the 70s at church. Now, I attended a church that was 98% Caucasian, and the Moss family came and made their home at that church. And he was a gifted song leader, so he was able to lead singing like none of us had ever heard before. And he could make a group just sound like angels. It was just incredible. And his passion was so deep that pretty much every phrase that had something to do with Jesus' love for us, he would have to pause and compose himself. He would continue to lead, but he had to compose and dry tears. The message of Christ was that deep into his spirit. Well, there was a, a decision made um, by my father, who was one of the leaders of that church, to bring Brother Moss on board as one of the leaders because it just made sense in a, a church, in a community that was growing in diversity to have leadership that reflected that diversity. But it was met with resistance, much, much resistance. And that's a story, and it's longer, but it's, and there was much prayer and much conversation and much decision-making. But in the end, a new church was formed, and it formed out in North Shreveport. And it was made up of a group of people, this will sound familiar to you, a group of people who wanted a church that was open to anybody, all people, no matter the race, no matter the background, no matter the culture. The message of Christ is for everybody, and we want these doors open for everybody. And that was the spirit of this new church. And they didn't know right off the bat if anybody would show up, but on that first Sunday, over 100 people showed up expressing that same thing. We want to be open. We want to be open to everybody. There, there, there should not be any restrictions on who walks through our doors. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And Orlando was the song leader for that. And I was almost uh, heading off to college, but I was able to be a part of that. Uh, and let me tell you, a group of 100-plus people in a small room singing with a, a leader of that caliber. It was something to behold um, and ear-piercing. It was, it was beautiful. Well, I had the blessing of going on a mission trip with Brother Moss, and we went to Honduras. Anybody been to Honduras? Latin America? I know some of you in this room have been to Guatemala. Pretty, pretty much similar to that. Uh, but Orlando and I were part of a short-term mission team, and we went down there and uh, interacted with a, a group of people who were studying to be preachers. And we interacted with some churches around. But we did a lot of just walking through villages and just, just doing what we could to encourage people, invite people to church and to serve in any way we could. And Orlando and I were uh, on, a, on a kind of a rocky path through a small village. And there were four or five children playing and Three of those children had shoes. Two of them did not have shoes. And that just struck Orlando's heart. He couldn't stand it. So through our translator, he asked, where's the closest place I can go and buy shoes for these two children? 
their feet were just rough and, and, and injured and just, but they didn't act like, you know, they just kept playing. You know how that goes. Um, so uh, we found the place, bought some shoes, and I watched Orlando as he walked over and gave them the shoes, put them on their feet, tied them up, and they were just giddy with excitement about them. And when we got back to our uh, person that was driving us around a little bit, once again, Orlando was in tears, just in tears. Just to, to be a part of something like that just brought him to tears. And from then on out, every time he talked about that, it was as if it just happened. That's how soft his heart was. Well, eventually, and we all kind of knew it would happen, he, he was picked up by another team, right? Gramley State University hired him to be a choral director. And he started his path now on with colleges to make them world-class choirs. And after Grambling, he went to Mississippi Valley State University and did the same thing with them. World-class, world-renowned choirs. And he loved those singers, those students, as if they were his children. He ended up getting a Ph.D. at age 79, Dr. Orlando Moss Sr. Wrote books that are still being used in the education system in Mississippi. Well, after uh, a while, his wife, uh, her health became an issue, and they moved back home. And we were all excited. You know, he's coming back. <laughs> he's coming back. And then when he came back, he had so much respect for the church and where he had moved on that he, he did not want to be back in the spotlight in any way. He just wanted to meld in and be in the church. And so th that's what he did. He ended up uh, losing his wife, but he still wanted to lead. And I worked, still do, at a college in town. And I heard that it just so happened that the current gospel choir director was going to take another job and there would be an opening. And I called Brother Moss and I said, would you have any interest at all? And even just being a, uh, you know, coming in and, and being a part-time uh, choral director to help these students get over this bridge until we get another choral director. And he was thrilled with that idea. He said, I want to do that. I want to do something in my retirement. So he came out. Uh, we set it up to where he could interview for the job. And he was actually interviewing to take the job. And he on the phone the night before, he called me. He was so excited. And he said, I'm going to do the same thing for your college that I did at Grambling, that I did at Mississippi Valley State. We're going to make this uh, world-renowned choir. We're going to go to new heights. We're going to shine so much light on your school. It was just fantastic. And so we arranged the interview, and when he came to the school, I met him, and it was just great. We just embraced there in the, in the hallway, and I said, let me walk you to the place where you're going to interview. So we walked into the room. I introduced everybody to Brother Moss, and then I said, well, good luck, man. I'll, I'll talk to you later. And so I left, and the interview uh, went on. And so, here's something I want you to hear. If I've, if I've at all lost you in the details of this story, I want you to come back and hear this. Okay? 
you, you see me, how I look, and you see Brother Moss, and those of you that can't see that, I hope I've painted a good enough picture for you. It's still a bit of an oddity in our society when black and white are together and close. It's still a little bit of an oddity. And sometimes things jump up and kind of remind you of that. So after the interview, he came out, and how'd it go? He goes, I think it went well. I think they want to work with me. I think I might be able to do this. And I thought, this is fantastic. This person that's been a giant in my life, I get to see it now on a regular basis like this. And he said, he said but there was one thing that was kind of funny. And I said, oh, what was that? He said, well, when it was over, they said, what, what's your connection to Mr. Cameron? And he said, I told him, he's my brother. He's my brother. And I walked out and thought, that's how you do it. Here's this man, famous, admired by thousands. I've been, his, I was just his mentee for so long. And when they've asked about the relationship he has with me, he says, oh, he's my brother. Well, Unfortunately, he never got to step foot on campus again. His own health failed. And the last time I saw him was on video. And he was in a hospital bed. And this group from both of the colleges where he had been choral director formed a, a group. And they flooded his room. And from his hospital bed, he led them in a song. And it was an old black gospel song called Sooner Will Be Done. Troubles of the world. Going home to live with God. Led them in that from his hospital bed as if he were leading it with them performing in the Sistine Chapel. Just amazing. That's how you do it. So when we follow their lead, their lead, whose lead? Well, in my life, my parents' lead, my brother's lead, Brother Moss's lead. We have power to change lives. There's beauty that reflects Jesus. There's testimony to impact others. And there's freedom to love everybody. I was free to love Orlando. Free to love people in my elementary school because of the people that showed me how to do it. It's what the world needs to see is that kind of thing. And they need to see it from the body of Christ, and that's us. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. 
the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. I was richly blessed by that relationship. And so tomorrow, when the world calls time out, when the nation calls time out for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I pray for you that it's introspective and that you think about the blessings that are available to all of us when we are open, when we love as Jesus loved and come to him in his name. Orlando's daughter, I said something about I wanted to try to honor her father in a sermon uh, in light of Martin Luther King Day. And she said, Dad, Dad loved the king. <laughs> that was who he loved, and he loved him so much. So I, I pray you have a blessed day tomorrow and a great remainder of today. And we'll just uh, get the band up here. Thank you for your time that you spent with us today. I hope it was a blessing in some way to you and that you have a great day. And here comes 40-year-old Kenny to lead. Uh, <laughs> God bless you. Thank you.